We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike. And today we're going to continue our conversation about the new free agents that the Lakers brought in. And I want to start, Mike, from the place where I'm almost certain that AD is going to start at the four this year. Darvin Ham is coming from Milwaukee. Um, we're going to get more into some of the nitty gritty of the the details of the four out system and the four out spacing that they're using in summer league and some of the defensive concepts in particular. And all of it, to me, points to a big team. I think we're going to replicate a lot of Milwaukee's concepts. And on both ends of the floor, uh, Ham, I already, I've, I've seen in summer league, everything is kind of geared toward a bigger conservative form of basketball. Now, it's different than Vogel's in that defensively in particular, Vogel was also very aggressive on the perimeter, whereas it's not as much uh, with, with Milwaukee uh, and Milwaukee's concepts. And so I assume that Anthony Davis is going to start at the four this year. And Thomas Bryant or Damian Jones, I would suspect that Thomas Bryant starts at the five. But within that framework, Mike, I think that kind of like locks in who we can expect where and at what positions. And today, let's talk about that. We've got these these five new guys, Thomas Bryant, Damian Jones, Troy Brown Jr., Lonnie Walker, and Juan Toscano Anderson. And so I'd love to try to figure out like... Where do these guys play? What part of the game are these guys best suited for? Just kind of have our first conversations, Mike, about how these guys integrate into the new team. Well, let's start in the middle. And I agree with that premise about AD. And I think that from Darvin Ham's perspective, AD is about the only guy in the NBA that you can replicate a defensive game plan around what Giannis Antetokounmpo can do in Milwaukee in that he can be super impactful off the ball. Uh, he can cover up for all kinds of mistakes. He can switch on onto guards if need be. He can switch over onto fives and defend the post if need be. He can basically do everything, and it gives you this major advantage uh, at almost any spot. And it's more often, I think, it's better to be able to utilize that guy in that four-type spot when you're less likely to have a matchup that is just uh, the focal point of the other team's offense. So, so you can switch him over onto that if need be, but, but not necessarily going to. 
So if we agree on that premise, I'm curious, the first comment you made, why would you give Bryant an edge over Jones in starting at the five? So I think the fact that Bryant is bigger and stronger, I think there's a, a greater degree of physicality, right? So remember remember last year, Mike, 80 at the five was the center of our conversations last season. And there was this anticipated move toward him at the five. And later in the year, you know, as things played out, they said, you know, Frank Vogel said that was the plan, right? And Ariza was part, supposed to start at the four between LeBron and AD. And I thought that it took away from elements of AD's game, right? His ability to be agile, his, uh, you know, he put on weight. There's, uh, I, I think elements of his jump shot even were impacted. But this is something that AD's always kind of pushed back against, right? This idea of like, I will play the five and I do play the five, but maybe not starting at the five. And there was, this great deal of pressure, I think, that, well, those are your best lineups and it's what you need to do. And I think that we saw, you know, some of the reasons why Anthony Davis excels at the four rather than the five beyond like, oh, he's not physical or, or things like that. Remember the championship year, Mike, where AD, when he was at the four, all of the rim runs that he had, all of the like just LeBron just throwing it deep in, you know, down into transition that's a function of playing much more of the four and to bring it back to this year's team and with having a guy like Brian or Jones back there, although I do suspect suspect it to be Brian, that four position is more of a roamer. When you're at the five spot, you're usually defending the offensive player that's going to be setting a screens, that's going to be setting a a ball screen. And so you're engaged in a way where it is good at that too, right? Like there's no real defensive position that you can put him in where he's like, he's bad at that, but he is otherworldly at being the one that's defending two men, which is usually a weak side guy or just roaming on the perimeter kind of off of the ball. But again, on the perimeter being that type of player, he can be disruptive he can recover help out at the rim but also close out to the to a, a three-point shooter there's a block a couple of years ago against uh bogdanovich in utah right where he sprinted and he jumped he closed out and he like landed out of bounds and then he jumped again and blocked his shot from behind those are the types of things that ad can do at the four spot that's not at the five spot where i think that this new personnel really helps put him back into that spot so i don't know mike that's just something i've been thinking about lately is that idea of ad back at the four we've talked so much about it i think we saw some of the reasons not to do it last season. So I think you must have misheard me. Keep keep this in because that explanation was good. And I'm glad we got I was saying I'm with you on the AD thing, but why for you, Bryant over Jones at the five? Like starting next to AD. Sorry, yeah, like, I, I tried to answer that at the beginning. Isn't Jones actually a little bigger? So Bryant like he's I, he's a little taller. He's they're about they're about the same weight. I think Brian's actually might be listed as like two pounds over, but I, I see Jones as like a little bit more of kind of the, the, you know, like the Dwight JaVale roller and Brian's obviously a stretch five bulk wise, but like Brian's bulk doesn't, doesn't, you know, protect the rim in the way, right. That Jones is, does. So I, I just, I'm curious to explore that more, like what you're, what you're No, That's at. an interesting conversation because I think that there's a distinction between rim protection and the thing that really helps AD and that's the like boxing out and, you know, putting a body on, on someone and and even just engaging on the ball and being able to slide your feet, but also being able to no roller behind and, you know, win those battles in the depths of the paint in a way that 
Uh, Damian Jones is going to do that above the rim, but Thomas Bryan is more inclined to do that with his strength. I, I, I see him as a stronger player than, than Jones is on tape. And so that's why I would give that along with the uh, ability to stretch the floor, right? It's like that, you know, like Al Horford versus Robert Williams is a more exaggerated example of the same type of concept. But you, so you just like that more in that starting look. So, Hey, let's open the paint right away. Keep Brian outside and then do some of that dirty work and battle and such. And then you bring Jones in with a different look in the case of it. If Westbrook is on the team, right. Then that's a sure. kind of a screen role, secondary action, right. After the initial one is more LeBron and AD looking for the early offense. And, and so would you pair it that way? Yeah, that that's exactly what I'm looking at. Like Brian is, First off, this is more of a defensive thing than an offensive thing. The fact that Bryant can space the floor, I think, would be essential if Russ is on the team, right? We talked all all year about this idea. But defensively, a lot of the starters around the league are your Valanchunas, your Zubats, you know, Stephen Adams, DeAndre Ayton, these just big, strong guys that I think Jones has more of an issue with. Whereas I think Brian is just a little bit sturdier. And and so Jones, to me, fills that Dwight Howard role from a couple of years ago, where it's that bench big that's going to roll to the rim, protect the rim, but can also get out and, you know, and, and fill lanes. And, and so that like kind of lob threat five when Dwight was at his best, well, maybe 2020 wasn't his best, but, you know, a, a little more in, in that uh, more physically capable. I, I see it slotting very similarly to a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's that's interesting. I I'm kind of I'm just thinking of who was playing better basketball most recently. And Bryant's still coming back from that injury. I kind of want to see what he looks like in training camp. And he says that he feels 100%, he looks great. And if he is the full realized version of Thomas Bryant, the one that was, you know, around 13 and 7 and 40% from 3 in Washington, then I would give that over that player the overall edge, but kind of knowing the vertical threat that Jones is and how that can work in different ways with that LeBron, like it basically in the way that JaVale did right Um, in that, in that starting lineup with those guys, I could see that working too, but I would really need to see a couple of preseason games, like some training camp here, what the coaches are saying about how these guys look. But I do like the idea as we discussed before we knew who the Lakers mm-hmm. were going to sign of, first of all, the stretch capability. Although we do think that maybe Jones can do some of that, right? Um, That is something that, that hopefully he continues to develop. And then I'm just really more thinking about protecting the rim defensively, but you made it, you made a good explanation um, as to why what Bryant does, maybe that works in tandem with AD on the defensive end. So, you know, it's a, it's an interesting one. I think you could kind of go either way and it'll get borne out in the fall, but, but I, I like the way that you explained the edge for Bryant. If Russ is here, then Bryant becomes essential just from the whole you can't play Russ with two. Like Jones can sort of do it, but like it's not. Right. Like it's going to be the same type of thing. We're going to shoot a lot of jump shots with guys who aren't necessarily great jump shooters. But if if it's not Russ, I think that that's a much closer, much closer training camp battle. So let's take a break. I'd love to come back. I think there are a few training camp battles possibly on the horizon, Mike. So when we come back, let's talk about those. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So in our current starting lineup, I got Russ, LeBron, AD, and Thomas Bryant, right? Which may be Damian Jones, but we'll, we'll put Bryant in that spot. I think you can make the case for several different players at that two spot. Now, again, what ends up happening with Russ will help kind of, I think, determine this. But when you look at this group, Mike, who are some of the guys that come to mind as candidates for that? So it's it's just funny because all the discussions we've had about Russ and, you know, and how much do you build towards how much do you cater towards what his skill sets and deficiencies are and how much do you address that in the starting lineup? And you do kind of have to talk about it just because of the lack of shooting. And so if he is in there, like I can have kind of two answers for you. Like if it's, if it's Russ versus a point guard that can shoot in space, then it probably is a different answer. Sure. But we're right back in that. We're right back in that zone of, okay, well, you know, so Juan Toscano Anderson is not a shooter. And first of all, kind of scales bigger uh, in some senses, right? So that probably doesn't make as much sense in the starting lineup. The concept and what I've what I've seen on film, what I've heard from some folks that I talked to in Chicago and Washington about Troy uh, Brown Jr. has me intrigued about his fit, especially the fact that he could potentially guard down mm -hmm. and guard down a size and defend, essentially guard point guards, which isn't always the strong suit of Russ who sometimes is better off to be, you know, put on a corner shooter and then used, although Russ is proclaiming a, a certain focus on defense this year. And, and we're going to have to see how that works out, but I'm, I'm intrigued by Brown's fit there. And now Lonnie Walker offensively, I think that the sort of the threat of him, even though Brown was a better percentage shooter last year, Walker is more of a guy that you know is just going to get the ball and get it up, which is going to get the defense's respect in a certain way. He can also create a little bit off the bounce. So he's interesting, but I think Brown is a better defender 
And that might be the nature of what you were getting at, Pete, with that initial battle. And that's that's leaving Kendrick Nunn um, out of that spot. And and he could play there, too, because Nunn could play there mm-hmm. offensively. He might be the best fit offensively um, if Russ is on the court and then Russ is guarding up and Nunn is guarding down, right? Mike, this has so much to do with the whole like accounting for Russ. It's just like, what are the things that he does? It's like he's very strange for a point guard, right? He's going to be one of the worst shooters that you have in your lineup. Very rare for your point guard to be one of the worst guys that you have. And he's a big physical defender. So he's not really a guy that guards other ones, despite him being a one himself. And so I think you hit the nail on the head there of of that, like, well, if it's Russ, you may have to gear a little more toward like... I I think the three guys that you brought up there, heck, we could even throw Austin into this discussion too, right? And that each of those guys bring something different to the table. But I feel like if Russ is on the floor, that two spot, the ability to shoot and that skill guard, that ability to hit a pull-up jumper becomes a lot more essential. And so I've been watching Troy Brown tape because I have a similar degree of intrigue. I think I'm a little less optimistic of his ability to start at least from watching more tape on him um even even in this role but i do that ability to guard as a bigger player guarding down we both come from uh that phil jackson liking big guards kind of background and like under like really liking that defensively and and so i think that that has a lot of value but if it's rust there it really speaks to the point that you were making mike about like the different types of players that that fit there so Walker, to me, is the most natural fit next to Russ, with none being kind of the split the difference between you get a little more defense than you do from Walker, although Walker proclaims that he's going to be bringing that to the table. I'll believe that when I see it. Um, none is a little more inclined to to uh, do that. He's that speed guard that can run with Russ, but can take that smaller player. And then Austin is another option where like Austin's a great connector and Brown's a good passer himself, but Austin's a guy that can do a little bit of everything, you know, but doesn't need to take very many shots to be effective. So where do you kind of throw Austin in the mix? Do you think he's ready for that type of role? I mean, I might sure. just start Austin at the one, you know, uh, though, just thinking about the way that the, uh, so this is a whole nother conversation, right? As to could Russ mm-hmm. be utilized in a bench role? And I don't think we're I don't think that the season's gonna start that way. So I don't know if it's worth really getting into too much this year. Um again, if if that's the spot where he's in. But just thinking at for players that are gonna best complement LeBron and AD, right? Like I would I would want to space out the time or lessen the time that he that Russ would be on the floor with LeBron and AD. And the easiest way to do that would be to start somebody like Austin, you know, or even Kendrick Nunn and then start Walker or Brown, whichever one is playing better and sort of do a combo that way. And then bring Russ in off the bench with the Damian Jones, you know, run some screen roll, get some lob threat action. Although, again, that that doesn't help your shooting and spacing as much. So there's a lot there. But I'm the point is, I want Austin to be featured in there. And then we're already getting into that that part of, all right, well, how many guards is Darvin Ham going to want to play? We know that Frank Vogel liked to play 10 guys for the most part. And that's another thing that I haven't asked Darvin yet. Does he prefer to use a big rotation? Does he want to see, does he want to give a bunch of guys chances early in the season? Are they going to take preseason more seriously this year um, than it was taken last year, right? And then that's hard to do when you have LeBron in t- year 20. And how much is he going to play in the preseason? How much is AD going to play in the preseason? So. There are so many questions about this, but that's where I guess I want to kick back to you and and think, 
is Austin a guy that just you have to find a certain amount of minutes for, uh, which is how I feel, uh, regardless of where it is? And and if so, how is he best optimized with in which of those groups? So I think Austin's a better player than any of the guys that we signed, at least to the perimeter guys, for sure. And so like it's not just a matter of like oh we got to find minutes for this guy it's like i think that he's legitimately a better basketball player now they bring different elements to the table and i think walker's scoring in particular the player that we've had here that's most similar to him i've thought is jordan clarkson and that ability to to score i think off of the bench and in bench groups will be particularly helpful but he has been a guy that started and i think he's a strong candidate for that but the way i see it we can we can revisit the russ off of the bench uh, conversation because that's a a longer one that we'll see if we even need to have it in the first place but um but with lebron and ad in that starting group i feel like what you need the other three guys to do is less shot intensive right and as a result Austin's lower usage type of style is actually helpful, right? That he he can and will knock down that open three, but he's also going to move the ball. He's going to set good screens. I think when you, even more importantly, if you look at it on the defensive end, he's going to be a point of attack defender that's going to compete, that you can put on the other team's best player, and he will he will give his best effort and will do do what he can to the best of his capabilities. He will get overpowered at some points, but he will be able to at least stay in front in most instances with the exception of like the really small quick ones. And that's, I, I had a conversation with someone recently about this of like, is Austin a one or a two? What do you think? And that was the one kind of Achilles heel. Like we mostly agreed that he was, he's actually a one more than he is a two, but kind of like that Phil Jackson, big guard, not a point guard type of one, but a, a you know, system type of one and but that the ability to keep up with smaller point guards he might not have the foot speed to be able to do that but yeah it's he's a guy mike where like austin's pt like he's a good enough player to to deserve it i believe yeah i don't care exactly and he's also where i don't really care what the position is you know in that sense with him because he'll he'll figure it out because of his basketball iq when he's on the floor but the way that you were speaking about austin and his ability to to be a good player by knowing how to play around guys like LeBron and AD, that's that's where I start to think about not just Brown, but Toscano Anderson in contrast to players like Nunn and Walker. And like Nunn and Walker are more just guys who get to the gym. And, and I'd say Walker a little bit more than Nunn, but who get to the gym and like, give me the basketball. You know, I can score. I got skills. You know, watch me cook a little bit. And Toscano Anderson and Brown are going to be out there and thinking, all right, what's the best spot for me to be in so that LeBron can run this offense the right way? What can I do to make sure that AD's getting the ball in the right spots? And we saw what happened last year when we put a bunch of guys or when the Lakers put a bunch of guys next to LeBron and AD that just thought, yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm going to go get my stuff. In the contrast, when you put guys that were either undrafted or picked up as free agents like Stanley Johnson or Austin Reeves that were thinking, what do I need to do in my role? And that's where I'm coming. I'm coming from the spot where I might think that Walker might be a better talent in some ways than, although, you know, of course, Brown actually got taken a couple spots ahead of him in the lottery, but just based on what they've done production wise, their last couple of years, Brown was put into a role on a better team in Chicago and San Antonio was young and playing their young guys. And Walker got a decent amount of opportunity to score. So, I'm just trying to think of 
take out the skill sets to an extent and just give me the guys that are going to go out there and bust their ass and figure out the right roles to play around the stars. Yeah, and Juan Toscano Anderson fits that description to a T. So let's take a quick break and come back because I think he is the most important of the free agent signings that we made. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mike, I grew up a San Francisco 49er fan during the 80s and 90s. And during one period in the late 80s, 89 maybe was 90, the Niners had Joe Montana as the starter. Uh, Steve Young was the backup. Montana is one of the all-time great quarterbacks. Young is a Hall of Fame quarterback in and of himself. And then their third-string quarterback was Steve Bono. And Steve Bono was a guy who is a half backup for part of his career, but started for the Chiefs for a while and was totally solid. And you never would have known that because he was stuck behind some pretty great players in front of him on the depth chart. This is kind of an extreme example of how I see JTA. I really like him. And I think that he's a guy that can be a playoff rotation player. He doesn't come without his faults, but I think that on our team in particular, like what we need is that bigger physical guy who's going to bust his ass and run the floor and play defense and ball pressure and rotate and all of the dirty work stuff that he really prides himself on. I, I feel like I, I I missed Alex probably the most of the free agents that we left, Alex Crusoe. But I think the player that we lost that hurt us the most was Kyle Kuzma. And I think that Without the offensive pop, JTA is that like bigger forward that defensively is similar to Kuz in a way that we really needed and that Stanley provided some of it, but he's skinnier. He's more of like a, a, a he has more guard defensive tendencies than like bigger wing. Yeah. And like JTA is a guy that's going to play hard. He's going to scrap. He can play up. And that forward that Darius always talks about that slots between LeBron and AD JTA has a lot of the attributes that I think really fit in with that type of style. So I, the reason I think he's the most important guy is I believe he's that Steve Bono type, right? That is out of a playoff rotation in golden state because you've got Wiggins and Peyton and Porter jr. And you've, you know, clay, you've got all of these wings that, that are there, but given the opportunity and our needs, I think he can fill one of those spots. And I think that our playoff success will be very much contingent upon that happening. In total agreement about JTA, and I want to get back to that in a second. I do need to understand, though, something. And you can California explain oh, sure. this for oh, me. Just how the hell do I become a Laker 49er fan? Well, no, because you've told me that before. But so Billy Mack 
hates all San Francisco teams, period. He's a SoCal boy. He's from mm-hmm. Newport. And so we were watching a finals game. The whole crew got together. And I was you know, kind of like, well, he was like, well, who are you rooting for? I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> Obviously, Golden State. You know, they're playing against they're playing against Boston and the Clay connection. And the Warriors have basically never been good when the Lakers have been good. So, and certainly since I got the job uh, in 08, there's never been, it, it was sort of easier. To, and I like the way the Golden mm-hmm. State plays and all that. And Billy was like, what are you talking about? Like, I, you can't like any San Francisco. You can't like any NorCal teams um, as a SoCal guy. And I know you have a good answer to this, but I, I still, I, I guess I kind of want to hear it again. And just to see what you, what your retort would be to Billy Mack. So I inherited my teams from my dad, right? Like a lot of us, our way of bonding as a kid was was through sports. And so my dad grew up yes. in New York, and so that's how he was a Yankee fan. And then when he got out of uh, when when he got out of being stationed overseas, he was stationed at the Presidio in San Francisco, and they would go on the weekends and get drunk and stoned and go to Kizar Stadium and watch the game. And he wasn't a football fan, but he became, that became his team, right? And then soon thereafter, Montana, you know, you go into that area. But he, did, but he didn't get into the Giants, though. No, no, he didn't get into the, to the San Francisco okay. Giants because that was not like the thing that they did on weekends, right? The thing they did on weekends would go to Kizar Stadium and, and do their thing, right? And so it was this gotcha. social thing where him and his, his gotcha. boys would go and like, they invite you. You're not really a football fan, but yeah, we'll go and we'll have a good time type of thing, right? And so, and then, uh, yeah. and those are the three main cities he's lived in, right? Is New York, San Francisco, and LA. And so I inherited those from, from my dad. I don't have the same heat towards NorCal that I think they often have toward us. So yeah, but I totally respect where Billy Mac's coming from too. Yeah, a totally fair explanation. And bloodlines is always the best answer as to why you love something, right? Even if you're from a different spot. So um, so that is that is definitely approved. <laughs> so JTA also coming from uh-huh. NorCal, um, down to SoCal, uh, not just because he's from there, he's from East Oakland, as he will tell you. And he so he goes to the Mexican League. Um, after he doesn't get drafted and wins a couple titles, is the MVP, comes up to the G League, plays for the Santa Cruz squad, the Warriors affiliate, and plays well, gets called up, plays about 13 games. In, this would be now three seasons ago. And then uh, plays the, the full season when everybody is injured and has some really good moments, including a couple games against the Lakers. And then last year had some good moments until basically Clay comes back. And that was just, it was going to be either him or Gary Payton the second, and to an extent, Otto Porter. And I think the Warriors made the mm-hmm. right calls there, specifically for their team. And it resulted in part in a title. But that's, you know, that was kind of a crunch where they were one of the few teams who actually had really good wing depth, and as did Boston, right? And by the way, not a coincidence that those two teams you were see, we gotta have this NBA conversation finals, more. There so. are a lot of other teams though that are releasing the Troy Browns of the world because they got too many wings. And like there are several teams that are kind of going that like my whole team, Toronto, you know, is, is gonna be wings. And I think that I don't know, this is an ongoing conversation that we have. I think we're too too wingy. Yeah, I and I don't think you I know can get you too wingy. <laughs> and I think that NBA history has shown us that. Um which is why all of the best players and all-stars and all NBA guys uh, for the most part uh, that have won titles have been wings. I like and how guards. Golden State's and best players, have, Steph Curry, have been huge. And we just like, we just, oh, Steph, yeah, yeah, yeah. Aside from Steph, Steph aside from Steph. But okay, well, you got Steph. I got Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. We, we Kobe don't have Bryant, to do this. We don't have Dwight to do Leonard, this now. Kevin Durant. Okay. Larry Bird, uh, Magic Johnson, 6'9. Right, anyway, uh, we, we don't have to do that. You're right. 
So Toscano Anderson, though, uh, I think we can agree, Pete, that the Lakers yes, were too not small enough wings. last year. Definitely not too wingy. And had yes. too many guards. Okay. So, <laughs> so at least we can, we're there, we're, yes. we're together on that one. And so, so basically going from the Warriors to the Lakers also makes sense for once. Scott Anderson, who thinks, Hey, like they need me, they need me to play there and they can use what I bring. And so even if like, I'm, I so much like his basketball and just mental makeup uh, and his general athleticism that even if he's shooting the ball terribly, like I'm not just benching him Agreed. You know, next year. Like I need that spirit on the court. I need that activity. Um, I need that being willing to not just being willing to, but being tough enough as a persona where if he, like if he yells at a game, somebody else might just listen. And that goes from talking up to stars, to talking down to rookies, you know, in a way. And so I don't yet, I need to know more and I need to know what the the resolution, right, of who's going to be at the point guard spot before really gaming out it's, the rotation. Mike, it's crazy how much of an impact that has on on like all of the other decisions that get made. It's like this domino effect. But but what it does, it does. But where I'm leaning, though, and, and this is the same, this this is the same conversation that you and I had a month ago. I'm leaning towards the what is the most likely end of season type of roster that you're going to have. And that's where I'm going to try to play towards more, uh, even early in the season, even if it costs uh, a little bit. But let's just table that for now and talk about JTA because I let me I want your like I need your take on it. Do can you see some bigger lineups where he's actually starting Uh, or do you think that his his he just most represents like the Kuzma spot in a way where he's coming in off the bench. Right. But he's that he can and then he can scale up and play alongside whichever LeBron or AD doesn't sit. I think that's ostensibly who he's replacing. And so not so much starting, but I can see him closing on a fairly regular basis. And that's going to be my biggest question with him is on the offensive end. Golden State is so unique because they've got guys like Steph and Poole. And then later in the season, of course, Clay, that a lot of his offensive role would be the handoffs with Steph, right? So he's got the ball a little bit past the elbow and he's either handing the ball off to Steph and setting the screen or faking that handoff and going to the basket. But it's just like the total nature of how to play with Steph is just so different than how to play with LeBron and AD. And in terms of the decisions that the defense makes, it's actually the opposite in a lot of circumstances. And so he's not really a shooter. He's got some... Like he's he's this interesting generalist in that he's not really good at anything offensively, but he's not terrible at anything offensively either. And I think that those guys can be helpful, but also there are some spots where you're like, no, we actually in this game against this team, we need you to be able to make your open corner threes at a rate that maybe JTA can't do it. But then then you don't play him, right? And and so I think that yeah, I think he's I think he's somebody just that on a lot of nights he'll be able to close by virtue of his defensive ability and energy uh, and energy and activity. AD is going to be closing at the five. It's very easy to see him at that other forward spot in those groups, Mike. Um, but offensively, I have questions on how he fits in with the LeBron team is a very different question than how you fit in on a Steph Curry team. So I am not super familiar with the Mexican League and haven't watched a full game. Right. I may have seen a highlight here or there. But it just is interesting to me, being an MVP of any league, just any league, Mm. there's a certain level required for that. There's a certain level of skill. 
there's a certain level of basketball IQ. And like, so when I heard, so as somebody that also doesn't watch a lot of EuroLeague basketball, but when I learned that Luka Doncic at age 18 was the MVP Mm -hmm. um, of the EuroLeague, that was it. That's all I needed to hear. I don't care there. I don't care like what he looks like. I don't care. Uh, It sure it helped that he was six, eight, but like that to me is a player, right. That, that is just going to have uh, a certain type of impact um, on the NBA now, the Euro League being the second best league in the world, Mexico is going to rank below that. But there has there have to be some things that he has that offensively and defensively and leadership wise, kind of intangibles, all of that stuff that just has to be there. So, like, I got to sit down with him at a certain point and pick his brain on that because I'd, I'd love to hear his take and how that developed him as a player. But um, they do certainly have some good players there, and so for him to be able to be the guy like that. You know, what what does that tell us? And it's this is more of a of an open, um, not so much rhetorical question, but I'm just intrigued by that and and sort of how he then is put into the spot that he's put in with Golden State, which is such a specific system. Mm-hmm. And and now this is the first time outside of that cocoon now for him in the NBA. So I'm I'm also intrigued by that. And maybe there are some things to his game that could really work well outside of that warrior system. And and that's something that I'm curious to no, look into. Likewise. And I think that what you spoke to there about being the MVP of a professional league. And again, I really want to reemphasize your point that doing that in any professional league around the world is impressive and requires a certain amount of being the focus and having the ball in your hands and just kind of being the center of, of what your team does that is helpful to a generalist, right? Uh, he's going to be able to shoot the ball a little bit or pass the ball a little bit and, and play make a little bit as a result of that experience. But it also like, when do my shots come? How do I get them? There's not this kind of constant motion of Golden State's offense that I actually think plays into more of his weaknesses. So one thing that I think that if it goes badly with JTA, that's going to be one of the ways that it would is that so much of the that perimeter gravity that two go to Steph and all of a sudden you're open on a cut or a roll or now two are going to go to LeBron as well uh, from uh, quite often, but it's just a different like you may be standing in the corner, especially in the four out type of set that, uh, uh, you know, format that we're going to run. There may be three straight plays, Mike, where you're in the corner and you don't well, get, get a touch of the ball, you know? And so that's going to take some getting used to. Is this, is this too simple a way to think about it? Like two going to Steph means sort of sprinting out to the three point line where two going to LeBron means sort of like sinking into the paint. So it you know? depends on, yeah, it depends on how teams, because two, Teams will blitz LeBron the way that they blitz Steph. And then that's when you get those short roll opportunities. He'd do that with Austin quite a bit this year, right? Or KCP the year before where like they're going to put two on him and then it's a a short roll or uh, you could pop out to the three point line. But with LeBron, yeah, there's they are going to have more of those like sinking into the paint, into your drop coverages, making sure that there's a big or strong side zone where just making sure he sees another body in the paint. Whereas with Steph, that's pretty much exclusively on the perimeter. So this is where I want to enter Darvin Ham, if briefly yeah. into the discussion, because so Darvin went from Atlanta and we, he talked about this when we sat down last week. And if you, if you didn't get a chance to read that, uh, it's you can just go to my Twitter and let, go back a couple scrolls. But it's it's Q&A with Darvin Ham part two. And in the bud system in Atlanta, it was a very Golden State type system. Uh, now, they didn't have Steph Curry, but it was there was no star. Right. Everybody's a threat. Everybody is a danger to shoot. 
Um, Al Horford at the five, oftentimes Josh Smith and Kyle Korver and Jeff Teague. Uh, like this, it was a very, um, it was a very different way of playing than when they got to Milwaukee. And so what Darvin spoke, spoke about is, so he sits down with Bud and they're in the room and they're like, all right, well, we can't just do the same thing here. We have Giannis and Tadakopo now. Like that's how the four one system in a way, that's the biggest part of what it was. It was like, we have to, we have to create early space um, by sprinting to certain spots because the other team is going to build this wall, which to me, Pete, and I'll skip the specifics of that. I know we want to get into that more with Darius, but that to me helps him in the way that he's going to coach LeBron and a LeBron based team and the way the teams want to load up against LeBron. And a lot of what this, the system is trying to do is to encourage or discourage the team being able to do that. And so that that's just I'm curious how this system and Darwin plays into the the previous discussion that we just had. I, I'm so glad you asked this because this I think will dovetail nicely into either our next pod or or the one after that where we really get into the four out system. But I, I think the way that we often communicate offense in the NBA can be a little bit off, at least with respect to the offense I think we're going to run this year. I think of it less, Mike, as a scheme or a system and more that you're trying to create an environment. You're trying to create an environment that is constantly maximizing the space for your dribble penetrators. That's the main advantage of going four out spacing versus five out spacing. Four out spacing is more conducive to dribbling and attacking the basket that way. Five out spacing is more conducive to pass, cut, screen, right? Like movement, player movement, and ball movement. Whereas again, four out is more off of the dribble. Well, we've got LeBron James and Russell Westbrook for now, possibly another guard who could be quite good in space, right? And so that is why that type of spacing and last year I called it, you know, 41 style because it's less like it's less a scheme where there are set plays and more the the creation and maintenance of spacing for star players that just might you can't guard one on one. And that if you have to send that second defender, they have to travel a long enough distance to where that means somebody else is going to be open. So we're going to get into all that and, and more uh this coming week, we've got the summer league, uh, got a summer league game tomorrow. Lakers play a couple games this weekend. Uh, we will talk about all that and the, the spacing, the four out spacing and a whole lot more next week here on the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's in. They will. A lot of Laker fans well, standing so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. 
That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.